0: Hi, I'm Chris Kraft, and I'm a career queer.
1: Oh, yeah. hey, 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 hey.
0: This podcast explores workplace culture through an LGBTQIA+ lens. Through the course of this podcast, you will hear from freelance writers, campaign fundraisers, editors, human resource professionals, baristas, and much more. Because while about one in five of us are queer, we all have careers. This week, I'll be joined by a Jesus School dropout, and we will be discussing queer seminary, what that means, and finding peace in unexpected places. My name is Chris, and I'm your host, I've led LGBTQ initiatives at a Fortune 500 company, and I'm currently a Rombo Fellow at the Darden School of Business. So what I realized after I had recorded this episode with Murphy is that we really cover the gambit of religion, of finding your path, of feeling lost. And each part had such brilliant things said by Murphy that I couldn't bear to cut it in the normal way that I cut my episodes. And because I'm just starting grad school and trying to get my feet under me, I decided to cut this episode into three different parts. What follows is part one of our conversation, where Murphy and I take a deep dive into why they felt called to go to seminary. And then on Thursday and Monday, you'll be hearing parts two and three. And then next Thursday, you'll be hearing the listener episode with Murphy, I hope you enjoy this content as a little break away from our typical formatting, but still delivering a great conversation. I have so many wonderful interviews planned for the rest of this fall, so I hope you continue to keep listening and let me know your thoughts. I'll talk to you later. Enjoy the episode. This week, I have Murphy... Oh, thank you for saying how to say your last name. It's very, uh, French. And I might be wrong, but... How dare you call me French? It's Irish. (laughs) Sorry. Um, This week, I have Murphy Gnan, who uses they, them, theirs pronouns. Since getting their BA in women's studies in 2011, Murphy has worked a myriad of menial and not-so-menial jobs in cities across the United States. They've worked in retail in Baltimore, Maryland, and Albany, New York, driven a laundry truck in Yellowstone National Park, organized for a Senate race in Ann Arbor, Michigan, been a barter farmer in small towns across the rural South, fundraised for abortion access in Minnesota, gone to seminary in Berkeley, California. For the past year, they've been a barista at an, for the past year, they've been a barista, an independently owned coffee shop in St. Paul, Minnesota, but have been out of work since March due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Murphy is a transgender and non-binary, and often describes himself, and often describes himself as a gender heretic. Their many talents include amateur constitutional law analysis, really excellent laundry folding techniques, having memorized Taylor Swift's discography. In their current copious amounts of free time, they enjoy reading speculative fiction and theology, learning to make bread, and reading aloud to their houseplants. Wow, what an intro. So I also want to say that Murphy is a friend of mine who I love to share angry Catholic memes with. They also have a love of angry lady country music that I thoroughly appreciate and celebrate. Murphy, welcome! Thanks for having me, Chris. I am so excited to have you here virtually visiting uh Virtually, I guess, from your parents' estate in the woods.
1: I, I think estate is—that's uh, a very fancy term. But yes, I'm—I'm am, I am in the middle of the woods in upstate New York
0: right now. Um, I used the word manse recently to describe a home on a lake that uh, Sam and I were driving past, and he like was like, "What is that word? Is that just short for mansion?" And I was like, "No, it's like—it's like similar to a state, but like." sort of like mansion, and then it's like, actually means like a pastoral home. Yeah, come on, Sam. Yeah, like, this is the second time in like weeks where he has doubted that I'm using words that actually exist. I'm starting to get concerned. So this week's topic, I already mentioned this, but you have self-identified as a Jesus School dropout, which always makes me think of that song from Greece, which is Beauty School dropout. Uh, Are you familiar with that song? that's exactly what
1: I think about when I say that that's actually why I started using that phrase so I just every time I say it you should picture me like in my brain I am snapping and singing
0: Jesus a school dropout <laughs> so it's funny as I actually went on YouTube and clipped that and I'm planning on like inserting that into the uh show and now that you gave me that beautiful rendition um I get to just like clip that in there instead of beauty school dropout. So thank you, Murphy. Um, so for you, what exactly was Jesus school? So when I
1: say that, um, I'm talking about seminary, um, which is basically graduate theological school. Um, seminary can mean a a lot of different things. Like there's a lot of different degrees covered there. Um, Mm -hmm. but the most common one and what I, was going for was a Master of Divinity or MDiv program. Um, And that is the most common degree for anyone who becomes, uh, who's ordained in a a Christian church in the US. Um, I can't say much about abroad because I don't understand how anything works.
0: This is a fairly US-centric podcast, so I mean, yeah, I I have ten listeners and I'm pretty sure I know every single one of them. So I'm not worried about like our listeners in London. They don't exist yet.
1: <laughs> Someday, Chris. <laughs> so I I initially applied to seminary because I felt called to the priesthood. And like you mentioned earlier, I'm Catholic, so impossible dream. It's it was one that was really important to me and was very, like, to say that I I felt that calling was very central to my identity, I guess, at the time when I was doing the applications. Regardless of what denomination you're ordained in, most of them will require that you have an MDiv. And so I had applied to three different programs and ended up going to the Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley. And the thing about the MDiv is that it combines, you know, both the academic theological study, that, so that's the, the sort of traditional grad school portion of it, right? The academia, mm-hmm. um, and has the practical application elements of ministry. So you'll take classes on, on preaching, and there's also um, work on pastoral care, and your all MDiv programs require that you do some sort of field work or field education where you work in a church in some capacity. Uh, during the program in order to get your degree. PSR itself.
0: And PSR is the Pacific School of Religion.
1: So it's a, it's a non-denominational seminary, but most of the folks who go there are either UCC or Congregationalist um, or United Methodist. And there was actually only one other Catholic person in my, my cohort, my class. And I'm pretty sure the two of us were the only ones
0: in the school who were Catholic. So I have a question about that. Like you, you are very Catholic and you, um, identify as Catholic, I guess. What would be a school where the Catholics go, you know, if you were the only one here, but I know that there's MDiv programs, like, isn't there one at Harvard?
1: Yeah. So, and Harvard is actually a, a Unitarian school and they're not a seminary. They are a divinity school, which is, different because they don't have those ordination focused programs. You sort of have to work more with your denomination to get those extra requirements. And they're, they're much more like academic and research focused. They Harvard divinity makes a big deal in their, their promotional materials about the difference between being a divinity school and being a seminary. So PSR is actually one of several schools that is part of what's called the graduate theological union in Berkeley. And it's, I think like seven schools right now of different denominations, different seminaries that are all in the same area of Berkeley. And it's actually an area that's known as Holy Hill because of how many seminaries sit at the top of these hills.
0: I love that so much. Holy Hill. One of
1: the schools is the Jesuit uh, the Jesuit School of Theology. Um, and that is the the Catholic school, the Catholic seminary in the area. And so I took a couple of classes there because that's one of the great things about the, the Graduate Theological Union is that you can take all these courses at, at different schools in different denominations if you want. And that was, that was, for me, one of the advantages of applying to PSR was the idea that I could take classes at the Catholic school, but my home-based school would be a super progressive, super queer institution. Um, So I would have that to fall back upon if my Catholicism classes were in case, you know, the homophobia or the misogyny got too much, essentially. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, absolutely. I I think that that is a very delicate way of putting it. So good job.
1: Thanks. I I do my best. Um, I like to joke that the Catholic Church will eventually have to either ordain me or excommunicate me, but I'm going to be a problem until they do one of those things. And let's be real, it's gonna, I'm gonna end up excommunicated someday.
0: Yeah. So I feel like when you talk about being excommunicated, that just brings up, like, so I went to Catholic um, elementary school, and I was raised being very Catholic. And just when you say excommunicated, I'm just like, I don't even know what that means. Like, all I know is it means that you're, like, banned. But, like, personally, the fact that you... Have stayed really rooted in your faith and where you're saying that you feel called to be a priest. I've always really admired because I always say that I'm like a recovering Catholic or, in this context, a Catholic dropout. I could never marry my ideology to attending church Um, because for me, there's just so much political and like historical and societal like crap that I really don't agree with that the church as like an overall institution is done. Plus, I just like never really felt comfortable with something where it was like, you have to go every week. And I never felt that like spiritual filling nature of it that I think that I used to when I was younger. That's like gone away a lot as I've been older. And I find that that love or that more soul filling work is being accomplished elsewhere. So... Can you talk a little bit about your religious identity if you feel comfortable?
1: Absolutely. This is one of those things that I love to talk about. So you might have to like redirect me or tell me to shut up at some point. Never. um, If I get too long or too rambly. (laughs) Um, So like you, I was raised in the Catholic church. Uh, I did not go to to any Catholic schooling. My mom who went to Catholic school, I think K through eight, joked that has, has joked that, that's, that her experience going mm. to Catholic school is why none of her kids did. Um, so we're, we're all public school kids. But um, when I was growing up, we did attend the local Catholic church regularly. I was baptized uh, in the church, made my first communion. And so my mom comes from an Italian Catholic family. My dad comes from an Irish Catholic one. So I have a lot of relatives and my parents have always been pretty liberal politically and and socially, but we live in a a rural area and the the church that I grew up in was not Mm -hmm. that. Um, So our priest was this aging Franciscan who uh, Father Anton, and his sermons often mm, leaned into the sort of misogyny and homophobia that that a lot of people think of when they think about Catholicism, and I, you know, went to Sunday school every week growing up as well. And my my religious set instructors were not any better than that. One of my most vivid memories of church growing up, and this is a story that I I told a lot in seminary too, because this for me is sort of the conversation where it all began, right? I was in religious ed in eighth grade and it's like this small overheated room and lower level of the parish hall carpeted. Like I can smell this parish hall as I'm talking about that, that sort of like church but dusty smell. And like you can tell that the, like just the scent of parish
0: hall has been ground into the carpet over the decades like I always talk about this with my therapist when I have like vivid memories of my childhood, but I seem to always remember like this, like ringing in my ears when things were silent, but I felt like I could hear the tension in the room. Oh. So when you're talking about like being able to smell something, I was like, yeah, like that's like, that just tells me how strong of like a core memory this is. And I mean, it's also like such a specific smell,
1: right? Like parish hall. So I had asked my religious ed teacher, why all the priests and all the deacons are men, why Jesus apparently only had men for disciples, why we constantly referred to God as our father and the Holy Spirit as he, I was 13 and sort of coming into this. Okay. I shouldn't say coming into a feminist consciousness. I have always been like this. Um, like segue or no. What's the, what's the word for when you just non sequitur. That's what I'm trying. <laughs> Sorry. Non, non sequitur away. Uh When I was in third grade, we had to make up our own like political campaign slogan. Oh, nice. And mine was, who needs a man? Vote Ganan. <laughs> yeah i have always been like this
0: oh yeah no but like i mean like anyways i want to hear what this person responded when you asked those questions because like mm, i have thoughts (laughs) i sure had thoughts
1: too um and so he told me that and i i remember this verbatim um because of the sins of Eve, women can never be
0: equal to men in the sight of God. Mm. <laughs> and, like just internal screaming. Oh yeah. Across yeah. the millennia. It was,
1: I don't remember much else of that lesson. I just remember him talking at me really condescendingly for a while. I mean, obviously needless to say, I did not take that. Well, my mm-hmm. parents did not take that. Well, uh, which I, I think I'm actually really lucky in that respect. I did not go back to religious ed for the rest of that year. I only returned in ninth grade when I was going to have a different teacher for Sunday school. And my my sisters were also pulled out of religious ed when they were going to have him for a teacher because my parents were like, no, we're not going to put you in a position where someone with authority is telling you that you're less than. I think that was really the the pivotal moment for me when I I lost my faith as a kid um, because essentially what I was asking, right, was, can I be a priest? And I, I don't think I realized at the time that that's what I was asking, but to be told no in such intense language sure was a thing. Um, I ended up dropping out of, of religious ed and stopped going to church um, in ninth grade. Never made my confirmation as a teenager, told my parents, I thought I was probably an atheist. And not long after that, we sort of stopped going to that church altogether. And I think like a a tragedy for me is that my parents still have not found a church that they can attend regularly. That both is like a Catholic church that fits their beliefs, but also, you know, one where their children would be welcome, essentially.
0: I don't know. I'm sure you heard this at some point. But I, I just think about like all the like, all of the little girls and like little like or, like, assigned female at birth children, um, who are, who have asked that question? Because I know, I think, I never truly asked it in such terms, because I just saw it as, like, such a infallible institutional thing, that I was like, why even question it? When you go to this church, you sign up for that reality? I remember asking it, because I was like, well, like, I get it, blah, 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 but, like, really like what i think my question was more of like if if it seems like women are not respected or held by the church in as much reverence like you have mary the mother of god but that's really the strongest one but you really see through like the saints that there are lots and lots of women who have truly upheld the Catholic faith, who have been martyrs, who have um, really found strength in their faith to like bring them through difficulties and their communities through difficulties. So I was like, I was like, but yet there seems to be such a disregard for women um, and such a dismissal. And I remember bringing that up to (laughs) Mr. Cahill, or was it Mr. Groshan, one of those men, and like their whole thing was like, well, women are meant to like be the supporters of the church, to be the mothers of the church, to like support and nourish and like bring the church to life. And like I remember kind of balking at that cuz I was like, so you're saying do all the work and get none of the credit. Exactly. <laughs>
1: like That's, I mean, there's that that old joke that like behind every great man is like a woman basically doing all of his shit right oh yeah but like that's the history of the church is you know every single church every single parish has a series has like a team of women it's usually a core of like two to three women who run everything
0: in that everything they got the donuts on lock they got the coffee they got the like funeral like roster to like man up so that like families don't have to pay for like food for funeral services. Oh, and all the people who bring food to those funeral services, women. And that's actually goes into like the greater misogyny of our culture and of workplaces actually, where I always challenge people whenever they're talking about um, executives in like a more traditional workplace setting that look at what that executive's partner does. Odds are man or woman They have a partner at home who spends at least half time or more with their kids at home or they don't have kids Mm -hmm. and, or they have, or they waited long enough and they had so few children that they could afford a nanny service um, by the time they're ready to start their family, because it just does not work for both people to have high powered careers and multiple children when they're young. God, no some whether or not you make that sacrifice knowingly or unknowingly somebody is making a sacrifice and it's generally women because of the misogynistic culture we live in I, like if I were capable of snapping I would be giving like approving approval snaps right now but <laughs> I, I can't snap <laughs> um I appreciate it anyways back to the misogyny of Catholics <laughs> Where, so you said that you like dropped out, you were an atheist, but obviously you're not atheist anymore. So, what was drawing you back into the Catholic fold?
1: So, for a long time, it wasn't even necessarily my faith. So, um, the year after I got my bachelor's, I spent most of it um, on the road, so that's that's when I was doing the farm work. And I was traveling all over the place, living out of my car and on other people's couches. And whenever I would get homesick, I would attend service um, at a local Catholic church. And one of the things that I I really, really love about this faith tradition is how we're so steeped in, in ritual, how we're so steeped in our own history and tradition. And I can walk into any Catholic church in the country and it's going to smell similar, right? Like it's going to be a lot of the same music. It's going to be the same words. I will always know when to be standing and kneeling. I'll always know the prayers and the motions. I don't even necessarily have to pay attention to be a part of it. It's, and I, I think this is something how, you know, you'll always hear people who aren't religious anymore, like, Protestants will say oh I'm not really religious I'm spiritual or Mm -hmm. like I guess I sometimes go to church with my family on Christmas but people who are raised Catholic always say oh I was raised Catholic or I'm a recovering Catholic and there's something about it that is just it gets into your blood it's in your bones and you're never really you never really get rid of it even if you haven't been to church in decades you know.
0: Oh no like every time people say like you know something something with you and I'm like and with your spirit, or also with you, because there was a <laughs> exactly. change.
1: God, I cannot watch Star Wars without like thinking,
0: <laughs> "May the Force be with you," and also and with also it. with you. <laughs> like, uh talk about triggering! <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you're right. It's just that automatic response. But yeah, you're to- that was totally part of Catholicism's appeal to me, and that's why, it, like, I still struggle with this it's still, like, a point of, like, heartbreak for me because it feels like it's something that I so desire to be back into, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I desire that community. Uh, Maybe not that community, but I, like, desire those rituals. Like, it's meditative that, like, the movement and the singing and, like, everything is so soul-filling. But then, like, it's, like, you're not important, women, gay people, and brown people. (laughs) Like, just, Right.
1: ah yeah like i can i can speak a lot about my own experience as someone who is who was raised as a girl and is often read as a woman still and i can speak as like a trans person and i can speak as a like visibly gay person right mm-hmm. like you know sometimes in the queer community we talk about like being able to to pass for straight like that's not something that happens to me mm-hmm. um, and Like, that's very deliberate, right? Like, I look the way I do on purpose. Mm -hmm. But I, that's not, like, none of that crap that I put up with even touches on the Catholic Church's long history of, like, participation in and encouragement of colonialism. Like, in the U.S., we have such a gross, dark history of, specifically, like, the Catholic Church and Indigenous peoples, um Mm -hmm. in the u.s like catholic boarding schools like just kidnapping native kids essentially and uh... (laughs) yeah
0: okay okay so basically it's complicated it's it is complicated and i think you know i think a lot so a lot of people
1: ask me and this happened at seminary too like why are you still catholic why don't you just like you know, go to an Episcopal church, um, if you want the smells and bells, like don't, why don't you just become an Episcopalian or, you know, why don't you become a Methodist or whatever? And because that, that history is so messed up because, and I think everyone just sort of knows all the horrible things about, about the Catholic church. I feel like I don't even really have to go into it because everyone knows it's bad, <laughs> But it's also, like, for me, there's there's sort of a, a proprietary sense to it, right? Like, yeah, but it's, it's my church. It's my faith. And there is a not insignificant part of me that thrives on spite. <laughs> and there is nothing the Catholic hierarchy would like more than for people like me to just go away. Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm to just leave the church or stop existing or whatever, but I will not give them the satisfaction.
0: I love that. Okay. (laughs) So.
1: (laughs) It's a a very spiteful
0: thing, (laughs) but I love it. Like it's also, although like I also, as your like friend, I want to encourage you that you don't have to carry this um, cross. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do not need to bear your cross alone. Jesus is with you. Um, sorry, sorry. Uh, but like, not to be like weirdly punny and silly, but like, you know, you don't need to carry this weight or feel like you need to keep continuing. I also want to like, encourage you to make sure that, I don't know, you're being good to yourself and doing what makes you feel whole just because I worry about you. But I'm also very into your spiteful fight. And it gives me hope that things could change.
1: You're a good egg. And I mean, I'm, I'm really lucky in that I, I do have a community of, like, I have a really good church community in Minneapolis.
0: Can you tell me about how you found that community?
1: Yes, I wanted to include this because it's like one of my favorite stories. Hello, this is the story of how abortion brought me back to Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I love it so, much. <laughs> so. I moved to Minnesota at the beginning of December in 2014, um, and literally two days later, started a job as a field canvasser, which is an outdoor job um, <laughs> because you're not hardcore unless you live hardcore, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was working for Naral Pro Choice Minnesota, and I was a fundraising field canvasser. So it was my job to knock on strangers' doors and ask them for large sums of money for abortion rights. Related,
0: this is why I have no fear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cody, uh, were you the one who helped Cody get into that work?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was actually Cody's trainer uh, when she was first hired at NARAL. God, yeah, I taught Cody how to fundraise. And now the student has surpassed the teacher and I like could not be prouder. Like, let Cody talk about all the great shit that they do, and then bring on me, and I can be like, ah, oh, yes, I taught them everything they know. Just kidding. I got the, I got them started, and then they took off because they're really, really good at what they do.
0: Yeah, well, I think Cody talks about all the things that they learned from Nayrol though. So, Nayrol taught you how to have no fear.
1: Absolutely no fear. It is also impossible to hurt my feelings, but that's more to do with the fact that I worked retail for so long. So I want you to picture this. It's like probably January or February 2015, middle of winter. I'm in the suburbs of the Twin Cities somewhere. There's snow on the ground. It's so cold that my water bottle froze, even though I had it like in my coat pocket. So it's next to my body heat. It was frozen after like an hour. And so this gentleman lets me in his house while we talk. And I keep talking even as... He wrote a check and like even afterwards, because again, it was cold and I was really enjoying being inside. <laughs> and something I'm sure you can attest to is that Minnesotans, you you all can like sense an outsider. I don't know if you can smell it on us or something, um, or if it's just that I hadn't learned to mimic even the faintest Minnesota accent yet. <laughs> but he asked me if I was new or like said something about, I, I wasn't from Minnesota or something like that. And so I tell him that I've just moved. And at some point in the conversation, he says, you know, I'm, I don't mean to pry. I don't mean to be rude, but would you happen to be looking for a church? Um, I was like, yeah, actually I, I am. Because before I moved to Minnesota, I had been living in michigan and i had spent the summer going to a unitarian universalist congregation there oh, sure. and that like unitarians are great because all they care about is you know justice and being good to other people and like uplifting the oppressed and they're the most like aggressively welcoming church situation that i've ever been in but they also have no dogma to speak of and that makes me nervous uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. it,
0: <laughs> where are your rules
1: <laughs> they're like these are our seven moral principles I'm like yes but like what do you believe they're like oh no we don't you don't have to believe in anything I'm like excuse me <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm sorry I need I need something stricter than this like y- y- y'all are freaking me out
0: <laughs> every other area of my life I can run willy nilly but this this needs to have structure <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh
1: so this you know this this guy uh asked me you know what denomination i was and i said i'm, I'm catholic he's like okay well i'm i'm methodist and i go to the prospect park united methodist church in, in minneapolis but my church occasionally does work with the catholic church up the street uh saint francis cabrini i think you would really like it there i went there for the first time on ash wednesday that year and it was like an immediate coming home um it's such a great community and it's a very open and welcoming community like aggressively so cabrini has had a statement of reconciliation for the lgbt like with the lgbt community since 1992 and it is framed and hangs in the in the front hall of the church they had to take it down for several years when neinstadt was archbishop of the twin cities diocese gag me oh my god that man he he used to spend he used to send spies to cabrini to attend service there and then report back what sort of rules they might be breaking and like
0: the the archdiocese for a very long time was trying to get cabrini shut down yeah so i mean gosh i have so many other questions and like but i'm going to try and keep us on topic um (laughs) so you found that like catholic community I love that where you say that you like felt like you were coming home that like speaks so strongly to what I feel like what a lot of people are looking for, especially when they say that they're recovering Catholics Mm -hmm. is they want something that you have found. So during your experiences with them, what like was there a turning point or was it a series of conversations that made you really decide I think I'm going to go to seminary school. So it was like a, a slowly approaching thing.
1: You know, in in my mid 20s I spent a lot of time sort of rediscovering my faith, not in just the sense of like starting to go to church again, but also just starting to to be conscious of and be be aware of the presence of God in a way that I hadn't been in a really long time. And so there's going to be parts of this where I'm I sometimes I hear myself talk and I'm like, wow, I sound like a crazy Jesus freak, like the kind that everyone wants to avoid.
0: So (laughs) just a heads up. I mean, you are, you are my favorite Jesus freak. Thank you. So even when I I didn't believe in God,
1: so sometime in college, maybe I started praying every night before I, I go to bed, just like just because the routine of it, the ritual of it, gave me something to hold on to, even when I I didn't feel like I was actually talking to anyone. I guess sort of the the presence of divinity in my, when I was praying. And, you know, for, for me, like going to church and having it be a place where I was comfortable and didn't feel like I had to, you know, hide in the back or not speak to anyone just in case someone you know, figured out that I'm a dyke, being able to go to church without fear was, was a very, it let me, I think, open myself up to, to God and to the presence of Christ in my life in a way that I hadn't been able to probably since I was a little kid. And I ended up getting confirmed at the age of 25 um, at, at Cabrini, which was really cool. And I know that my confirmation certificate is logged with the the Council of Bishops um, under my birth name. But when we did the, I was confirmed during Easter Vigil Mass uh, 2016. And during that actual service, they used Murphy. Like they used my, the name that I go by, my chosen name, mm-hmm. which like legally is my middle name, but... Anyways, the point is that it was really cool to be able to confirm, be confirmed under, like, my actual name. I also got to choose, I chose St. Joan of Arc for my confirmation saint. Um, and I actually have a, a Joan of Arc medal, um, like, just one of those little saint medals on a chain that I wear every single day. And I love St. Joan because the reason I always give is that she also had gender problems and was always ready to fight. And I think those are pretty good qualifications for
0: a saint. And I'm going to end there. The interview with Murphy continues in the next part of this series, which will drop on Thursday. So this is part one of three, and I hope you stick around and listen to more. If you want to follow me on social media, find me on Instagram and Twitter at The Career Queer. I would sincerely love your feedback on the show and your career questions. You can ask on social media via the direct message option or email me via thecareerqueer at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, share it with a friend and please subscribe. This is a totally new enterprise for me and word of mouth is the greatest influence on listenership. I truly appreciate your support and your listening ears and I hope you join us for episode two of this series until next time stay strong stay sparkling and stay united against injustice bye
1: your story sad to tell a teenage ne'er do well most mixed up non-delinquent on the blind, your future so unclear now. What's left of your career now? Can't even get a trade in on your smile.
0: She's a school dropout.